Hello again, and welcome to the next exciting installment of the Who Cares About Anime podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Lobo, and as usual, I'm joined today by a fantastic cast of peers in the anime viewing, critiquing world, and very good friends. So, here's the introductions. You know them. You love them. Here's Payton. Oh, no! (laughs) (laughs) And here's... uh, did you know Anime Zone, Michael? I would like to think that by the end of this podcast, you're all going to think that we're a little bit bizarre. And last but certainly not least, our good buddy and fellow JoJo's fan, Will. And the next thing you're going to say is... <laughs> and you're just too cool. Know what I'm going to say next. Oh, man. So, as you can well imagine, first off, apologies for being away for a while. We've all been extremely busy and as of this recording, I remember the last one I was saying, thanks everybody for 100 subscribers, and now we're uh, on the cusp of thank you for 200 subscribers on YouTube. So we're going to keep the good times rolling here, and as you have probably deduced by now, the title today that we're going to discuss is the one and only JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. For those of you who don't know, the internet's at your disposal, but it, uh, well, as you'll quickly find out, and as those of you who uh, who have read and or seen it, it truly is bizarre, and it's truly difficult to describe in uh, in you know any one liner exactly all the goodness and hilariousness and craziness that is uh, JoJo's bizarre adventure. So I guess if you think over the top, sort of fist of the North Star, ultra buff dudes, good old fashioned manime. If you're into that and a bunch of nonsensical nonsense along the way, you're you're gonna love JoJo's. So, on that note, if uh, if you're in the camp that has not seen or read JoJo's, I uh, highly recommend pause it here and uh, come back later after you have uh, have seen it because uh, we're probably gonna be spoiling stuff along the way. And to all of you hardcore JoJo's fans out there, thank you for joining us. But uh, for the purposes of time, and also we're dealing with what's currently animated right now, uh, since this is Who Cares About Anime, we're primarily going to be covering uh, parts one through three, but we uh, we might bring up others as well. So here we go, gentlemen. Uh, first question, let's just start as we usually do. You know, what what got you into JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Uh, if you can remember, what what were the circumstances that made you aware of it, and then subsequently said, yeah, all right, I think, uh, I think I'm going to give this a shot. And let's start with Payton. Well, actually, my, uh, my first experience was via the good Sir Johnny Lobo, our wonderful host, overlord, and benevolent savior. Uh, I was at a convention in Kansas City, and they had a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fan panel, and I had never even heard of the show. And I'm like, what is this? And then I saw the fans reacting. I'm like, well, this is, this is its own little community. This is, this is wonderful. And then they started talking about posing and having pose-offs and showing clips of some of the most ridiculous things that this show has to offer. And the moment that I heard the least bizarre season featured a vampire created through an ancient Aztec stone mask that will pierce your brain in order to give you superpowers, I'm like, well, I am sold. And just watched it, and it just 
never got dull for me. This thing is just a high-octane, hot-blooded, non-stop, action-packed adventure. And I, I have to say, I am a, eternally grateful I have been introduced to this show. Hey, man. <laughs> no problem. It's uh, it's always fun to pass along good anime to good friends. So, Mike, how about you? Well, I was I first heard about JoJo uh, when I was searching Anime Planet probably four or five years ago now. And uh, I was on the hunt for shows because I'm sure as is with any anime fan, but especially with, you know, a lot of classic anime fans, you have to dig a lot nowadays because there's not a whole lot of stuff. There's definitely every once in a while you'll get something good, but you have to, I feel like I'm an archaeologist more than I am a, a sociologist, so to speak. If that even is a thing, I like those two big words. And uh, as soon as I glanced, you know, I'm looking around, action, something like Fist of the North Star, and I see the title JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Now, anybody who looks at a name like that, you're going to be instantly intrigued. I saw it was a 90s OVA, and I downloaded it. And for whatever reason, I did not immediately start watching it. Well, fast forward about three years from that point, so about 2013, the beginning of 2013, and I noticed that I see ANN talking about it, but it's not the OVA, it's the 2012 series, and it was just finishing, and I thought, oh yeah, I have that one I downloaded, and uh, man, oh man, oh man, the wasted years. I mean, I fell in love with the series instantly, and pretty much, if you like action-adventure series, if you like action in general, if you like just anything that's even remotely over the top, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is the series you go to. And I don't normally marathon anime, but needless to say, I completely, completely destroyed that OVA and went right into the 2012 series and completely finished it as well. It is it is a gem. All right. Awesome. Awesome, man. How about you, Will? I first heard about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in the early 2000s back when the video the uh, I believe it was the PS2 or arcade game for part 3 was out where you could play as Jotaro and you could play as part 3 version of Dio Brando because on <clears throat> certain image forums there was an animated gif of this yellow clad heart wearing lunatic rearing back arching his back going on top of a fucking uh, road roller I saw that, and I was like, okay, what's going on here? And I found, like, 20 million memes based on this one guy. I was like, who is this guy? And the internet at the time did not have detailed documentation on this thing unless I knew how to read Japanese. So I found as much as I could at the time, which was not much because my college internet was crap. But fast forward about five, ten years later, I run across it again, and – not only that, we find that it has a modern TV series, and hell, there was an OVA back in the 90s? Really? And Michael actually was the one who sent me the OVA. I watched through it, and I, was, I also had little clips of, like, required information uh, for backstory from parts one and two, so you know who Dio Brando was, you know who, all the Joe Star line, why is this even happening, Why does what is Dio's motivation, just enough to get you going. And then I watched the 90s OVA, and I was like, huh, this is 
delightful, cool. And then I find out that there's actually an anime that starts from the beginning in part one and has motored through all the way through the end of part three. Yes, I'll sign sign me up. I'll watch this. And I was delighted to see that road roller come down at the end of the show. Man, awesome. Wow. 2000. Man, you've got a leg up on uh, the rest of us here, I would say. Uh, if I can recall, you know, you, you'd see certain memes floating about the internet, the interwebs, and uh, I, I saw a couple random scenes, which it's bizarre enough when you're watching the show, but if you've never seen JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and you watch a random clip from it, you're left going, what on God's green earth did I just watch? And uh, I had a couple of reactions like that, and I thought, maybe one of these times I'll get into that. Well, this was... Uh, uh, your timeline there, Mike, that was when, you know, we were kind of getting things really uh, going with uh, the forum and stuff. And I remember you and uh, and some of the other guys were just, you know, were really uh, into this this thing called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. I said, hey, I remember that. And I said, okay, guys. Um, and I, I went to you, Mike. I said, okay, I need some help here. I want to watch JoJo's. What do? And, uh, and that's where Mike laid it out for me in terms of uh, the latter part of Stardust Crusader of the OVA was uh, was made in the 90s. He said, though, but you're going to start out with, chronologically, the first part of uh, Stardust Crusaders, the OVA. Uh, they went back and did that in, like, the year 2000. So started with that. So I uh, my first venture into Zawaldo of the bizarre adventures of, of uh, JoJo and company was uh, via the OVA, and I immediately fell in love with it, and... Uh, I was at a time, you know, this was maybe a couple years ago, so I was at a, a, a fortuitous time when I said, oh, great, I can go back now, and I caught up with the uh, the 2012 adaptation with uh, Parts 1 and Part 2, and then, sure enough, I was sitting high and pretty for uh, when Stardust Crusaders, the TV series, got announced, and so watched that, and it was awesome, and now we're all sitting nice and pretty for... What we hear coming down the pike later, part four, and uh, so that's that was that was my first venturings into it. Okay, fellas, you know I thought about saving this for the end, but let's just let's just go there right now. We're gonna start with you, Payton. So here it comes. Uh, who's best, Jojo? Well, there is only one proper answer to that question. Joseph Joestar is best, Joestar, hands down, easily. Anyone who watches this series, if if you're just talking from an anime, what what has been made in the anime so far, character selection, Joseph Joestar just brings that entire show to life. Whether it be in season two where he is this awesome badass that is just becoming like the complete unexpected hero and like this super powered, overly tough, but also just goofy and fun character or whether it be in season three where you know he's still tough but he is much more comedic relief but he is so much the epitome of the heart of this over-the-top anime that it's just everything he says from the absolutely ridiculous English that they do in the Japanese version that is just glorious to some of his like you are about to say, and then just completely predicting the opponent's moves. It's so unexpected. You start watching it after having watched Jonathan Joestar, who's this, you know, like, I love Jonathan, don't get me wrong. He's a very noble character. He's very interesting. But you take this 
even though he's over the top, very noble character. And then you jump into, oh, let's have Joseph, who's this, you know, complete lunatic of a character, just like, you know, well, it's time for my last resort. Let's hot step it on out of here. Like, you get something, you don't expect that out of your hero. But he works so incredibly well in all of the best ways. And so, you know, I, I would have to say, yeah, hand, hands down, hands down, Joseph. I don't, I don't know that I can, I can say anything else for that other than son of the bitch. <laughs> Man, I'm going to be in stitches this whole, <laughs> this whole cast. Okay. Mike, how about you? What say you? I mean, obviously, you ask eight different JoJo fans, and they're going to give you eight different JoJo's. But I think, you know, if if we're talking especially just parts one through three, I think that the JoJo that kept me with it the entire time was JoJo. Like, I was introduced to him through the OVA, and... I'm sure we'll talk about the differences between the OVA and the TV series. I don't think that the TV series did him nearly as much justice as the OVA did because in the OVA, he was an untouchable badass. Like everything that he did in, you know, in particular uh, when they're getting ready to fight justice or right before you have all of these guys just completely fly out of the door and it doesn't even phase him. Like he's, he has, he's, his look is kind of somewhat, Boncho archetypal juvenile or juvenile delinquent but at the same time he's he's an absolute standout as far as the rest of the characters because you've guys you've got guys like Polnareff who are over the top you've got Joseph over the top you've got Avdol who even though he's not quite as you know animated as the rest of them he's still you know he's still got his moments but Jotaro in the back is always he's always in the back he's always waiting and then We'll say Deep Blue Moon comes up and just completely, completely annihilates him. And maybe it's because I've always loved characters like that. I've always loved the Kenshiro's who can just walk up and, like, I guess nowadays you could relate it to One Punch Man, just tap somebody and they explode. But I loved his attitude. I loved his uh, fighting ability. I love his kind of coming out of himself a little bit when, you know, towards the end and kind of, you know, learning with the rest of everybody else, like this is what we need to do. I'm I'm gonna go with Jotaro. That's my man. All right, all right. Hey, excellent choice, man. Uh, what about you, Will? Who's best, Jojo? I'm gonna have to go with Caesar. No, <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna go with uh, Joseph because I love the fuck out of Joseph. Of the three Jojos we've seen, we've seen more maturation out of him overall than we have out of Jotaro or Jonathan. Jonathan, we see him as a boy with Dio, and then we kind of show him as a young man, uh, increments of a few years now and then. But we didn't really have a lot of exposure to Jonathan. It was basically just episodes 1 to 10, and then into Joseph we go. And for episodes 11 through uh, 26 of the first series of JoJo, you have uh, Joseph kicking ass and taking names, punching Nazis in the face, fighting off the pillar men and so on, having his big duel with cars, uh, finding out all the information that he can from Lisa Lisa, what she'll tell him. And then we go into part three, and then you have 52 episodes of Joseph going, oh my god, son of the bitch, back and forth. 
And I'm like, ah, yes. So as much as I love Jotaro, because Jotaro is an amalgamated badass. That's, that is what he does. But dollars to bash the stampede donuts, as Michael would say, I would go with Joseph as the best Jojo for me so far. <laughs> you know, I, I think I mentioned, Mike, I told you that uh, bash the stampede thing, that was going to catch on. And I think it's beginning. So, uh, <laughs> I might like, uh, and like you said on the last cast, Will, I might, maybe I'll cheat a little bit on this. <laughs> no, um, I, I do have, uh, I have some leanings towards Jonathan because of uh, that kind of psychological tendency where you really like to see like your own name uh, in front of something and you're, oh, that sounds most aesthetically pleasing. And, uh, but I really did like, he was kind of, he was kind of the first Jojo, the progenitor to all this. He was the one who, you know, was the first to uh, to have to face the evil that is Dio, and uh, and also something I found fascinating about uh, about him was like you see it at the very end, you know, his 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 demise, and you see it in just maybe a couple really fleeting moments as well. But it's almost like, and without question, sometimes in series there are redeemable antagonists, uh, maybe villains with a little bit of light still in them. But Dio's not that. Dio is just just evil. He's just evil incarnate. And yet, there's just like a couple of times where it seems like, you know, like like Dio throwing out an offer to, to Jonathan, like, you know, to survive in the very end. And you think, oh, it's just, you know, kind of the the villain's ploy. We're not so different, you and I. But, you know, I think that was just, if there was any tiny fraction of an iota of humanity left in Dio, if ever there was any to begin with... It was in Jonathan, and I think it, if, again, if there was any to be had, um, which is seriously debatable and doubtful, but if there's any to be had, uh, it died with Jonathan, and from there he truly was, you know, the monster he he was always meant to be, uh, but, you know, I do lean towards, you know, if, if just objectively speaking, like, when I think best Jojo in my mind, and hey, like, like you said, Mike, you ask uh, however many different people, you're going to get however many different answers, but joseph he's this you get to see him as this cocky young kid in part two and uh then you get to see him as the uh the old man in uh, part three where he's uh where jotaro very different from him in a lot of ways but you see him you can tell he can see a lot of his younger self in his grandson and trying to you know be the mentor figure to him slash comic relief and uh, even a little bit into comes into play for part four, so you know he's just uh, just just quite a character, quite a standout character. But you know, hey, in the world of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, it's difficult to find a character that's that's not a standout character. All right. Well, speaking of quote unquote going there, so to speak, and my apologies on you know if this isn't all inclusive for everyone, that wasn't my intent, but I knew it would come up with a lot of us here on our origins of how we got into the series and also just some stuff I've noticed, you know, as we've, uh, as the 2015 TV show was premiering, uh, it was great. And, you know, a lot of people love it because it, you know, follows Iraqi's source material to the T. Whereas the OVA, because it was, 
you know, for multiple reasons, but because it was only so few many episodes, uh, it did not. And you know, now that the 2015 series is out here, just seeing a lot of uh, a lot of hate towards uh, the the OVA that introduced me to it. And uh, so I, I guess uh, we'll just kind of go around here and ask why you think that is, and you know, if you think that's fair. Um, if it's, if it's even wise to compare the two, um, maybe just your two cents on which one you prefer and why. And I think this time we'll go ahead and we'll start with Will. You're going to throw me to the wolves first. I see how it is. Um, I did not have a lot of time with the OVA before the new series came out, the TV series. So I'm not as indentured to it uh, or as attached to it. I'm not going to, like, especially coming from other anime communities, uh, arguing which one's canon and which one's preferred and which one's whatever. I tend to avoid those arguments if I can. But I've skimmed over parts of the manga here and there, but I haven't really delved deeply into it. The oh, I have watched the OVA, and I will say the OVA has delightfully beautiful art. If one thing that is something that will just attach me to a series very quickly is its art. And I really did like the 90s animation style that was used for the OVA. The TV series, notably, especially for Part 3, was much closer. Hell, even certain scenes and certain panels of the uh, anime were actually almost verbatim stills from the manga. They were, like, dead on dead on to it. Um, but, I don't know, I have this nice perchant for the visceral of the nice hand-drawn art that was used in the OVA. But, plot-wise, I kind of like the TV series a little bit, little bit better, because we do get to see all of, every single one of the stand users. We also get a lot more uh, insight into each of the main five protagonists, whether it's uh, Joseph, Jotaro, uh, Avdol, or Polnareff, as much as uh, I almost said Benny Maru. <laughs> um, we even get to see a shit ton more of Iggy, which we didn't. Which even though Iggy is in the uh, in in the OVA, you see more of Iggy in the TV series, uh, especially the battle with Pet Shop. So, if I was to argue one versus the other, I'm split. I'm torn. I I'm not, I'm not. I will not give you a choice. I will not make this choice because. The animation style of the of the OVA is beautiful, gorgeous, and I love that art style. But having all the de- all the development of each of the characters, as much as they did go on a long ass tangent with Polnareff, it, I like that also. So I'm not going to call it. I'm going to let someone else do it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It's a it's a tough one, and I'm sorry I threw you to the wolves first, uh, as it were, Will. But uh, but thank you. Well, Mike, I, I think you have more than two cents to add here. Uh, what are your thoughts? It's like, well, I've got a couple dollars, so, uh, but if I can't have your love, I'll take your hate. Um, I absolutely, absolutely do not agree with the sentiments that the internet shares on the OVA. Um, but I also think that's because I value something on the merit of what it actually is and not whether or not it follows the source material. Um, you know, one of the things that I think many people forget is that just because something was written down or drawn doesn't mean that it isn't flawed. When you have, when you adapt something outside of a medium that it was originally in, you were given the chance, especially that whole, the whole point of that being adapting, you have the chance to make it better than what it originally was. Whether or not you do that is a whole different story. 
But one of the things you can also do is at the very least eliminate some of the problems that the original had. Because, you know, it's pretty presumptuous to say that something is inherently perfect the way it was the first time. Not too many things are that. As far as, like, what, you know, what I've seen from looking on the internet, the reason that people don't like the OVA is it stems from, one, it changes things from the manga, and two, the visual style is too different um, from what, you know, if you look at the TV series, which is much more... Uh, is much closer to Araki's original art for Part 3 as opposed to the OVA, which was obviously still manly and over-the-top and very, very close. Let's let's not say that it's completely different. But, I mean, after having watched the TV series, which followed the manga 100%, I'm absolutely overjoyed that the OVA didn't follow it because the TV series didn't just... This TV series for Stardust Crusaders did not just copy the best parts of the manga, it also copied the worst parts of the manga. And it's an inexcusable faux pas. You don't do that. Like, if you see something that you know... I've been to panels where people have said, I love part three, but here's what it did wrong. And literally, the TV series, which was so dead set on trying to follow the manga, shot for shot, panel for panel, you know, sound effect for sound effect, it copied the problems that the manga had. And, you know, you have people who will champion series like DBZ Kai for cutting out filler, but then will turn around and say that series that follow the manga, which may or may not have tons of filler, that's okay. I don't think that's simply on the principle that something follows the manga is what makes it good. You know, people need to understand that following the manga doesn't mean anything if the manga has a problem or is not good. I'm not saying Stardust Crusaders is not a good manga, uh, but since we're going to focus on the differences between the OVA and the TV series, which followed the manga, I prefer the OVA, you know? And I think if you're going to ask me if it was the, the better of the two adaptations, I would say it was, because not only did it have better animation, it the TV series looks better, but animation-wise, it doesn't really do anything. It's very, very slow, as opposed to other series like DBZ Super, or DB Super, which has a lot of animation, but looks very, very bad. And so, you know, with the OVA, the OVA wasn't afraid to cut crap out of there that didn't need to be there. And part of that stems from the fact that with the TV series, by the time we got to Darby, I was snoozing. Like, I'm like, okay, we need to get to Dio. I've sat through 39 episodes. I, we need to get to Dio. The TV series takes 20 minutes, and I'll never forget when they had to bring Boingo back. Boingo and Whole Horse. It took them 20 minutes to have five minutes happen in the show. And I was just like, that's way too fucking long. Like, get to the point. This episode did not need to happen. But because it happened in the manga, they had to have it. And also, the TV series has people who really don't need internal monologuing. They are monologuing everything. A water drop happens, and Jotaro sits there and says, that water drop, it might have come from Dio. I'm not really sure. There might be something going on else here. I, you need to know what's going on in my mind. And I'm just sitting there like, fucking get on with it. Like, please, I'm bored. Like, please, let's move it along. I know that this is a really important build-up shot, but you can build it up without just sitting there and just trying to make it happen because the manga did it that way. I will say, I will absolutely say that the TV series nailed 
a few of the stand users in some cases better than the OVA. I thought Darby was just as good, if not better than he was in the OVA. I thought, what was another one that they did that just kind of blew me away? There were a couple of them that were from uh, the TV series and ones that weren't in the TV series that I, or, or the ones that were in the TV series that I wish would have been in the OVA. But I don't know. I just think that, you know, a lot of the mystique, of the OVA, for instance, we'll talk about Dio's stand. You literally do not find out about what Dio's stand is or is even called until we are literally getting ready for Dio to fight. And in the TV series, we get to Anubis, and Anubis is like, oh, Master Dio stand the world. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean, Master Dio stand the world? Like, that completely annihilates all the buildup to Dio. Because now, even though people who are reading the manga may or may not know what the world is. The fact that they aren't keeping that mystique around Dio is just like, okay, now what? Now now we're just waiting to get to Dio. It's not, oh man, Dio is this all-encompassing force. He is. But now that everybody's kind of just throwing around like, oh, the world. Or when Kakyoin says to uh, Avdol, he's like, I almost thought, I almost thought that Dio's stand was the world. It's like, they keep kind of throwing it out there. And it's like, no. That does not do Dio any good. That kills his buildup because now you know what the world is. In the OVA, you didn't even know what the world was until after he used the world the first time. And so stuff like that. I feel like the direction in the, in the TV series could have been a lot better. But it followed the manga. So people thought it was superior. So I don't know. I am always going to stick on the side of the OVA. I and I Like I said, I enjoy... Every part of JoJo, I enjoyed part one, part two, and part three. They were phenomenal. And, you know, I cannot wait for part four. But I want to watch an anime, not an animated manga. All right. I'd say that was uh, definitely a few more dollars more than uh, two cents. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Any comments there? Uh, I I actually do have a lot of comments on this because I actually did start reading a little bit of the manga. And I, I have to say, I actually completely disagree with with you mike there uh i mean i respect what you said i haven't seen the ova so i can't judge the ova so i'm just gonna speak sheerly from someone who has watched the anime and read quite a bit of the manga first of all i I would disagree on the pacing first of all i felt as if the pacing of it a lot of what was the joy of this was just the sheer lengths to which they bring the ridiculousness and it wasn't a worry about how fast the ridiculousness was going it was just how over the top it was. I think part of the charm of this series was stuff like Jojo looking around, where did that drop come from? Oh no, what could this be? It was like this intense, I almost felt as if it was almost like a commentary or just like a parodied version of the way that most like manime and like action anime is handled. It was so over the top. It was masterfully crafted it was well executed uh beyond that i don't feel as if revealing the world early hurt it um partially because first of all if you're following along with the tarot theme that they were doing with that um pretty much by the time they get to that reveal it's one of the few ones left and it's one of the only ones anyone that is somewhat knowledgeable on the tarot stuff like it's one of the only like world-shattering ones, ha, world-shattering, anyways, um, ones that you could really 
have left in this department. So it didn't come as that much of a surprise to me. I was kind of expecting it. I didn't even know that it was going to be that at that point. And I don't feel like it detracted from it. I felt like it built up a lot of suspense of like, all right, if all these guys have all these awesome powers, what is this one going to be? Like, I'm stoked for the big bad. I felt like it kept building. The one thing I would agree with you on is uh, Oingo Boingo. Yeah, okay. Granted, I could have probably done without all that part. Like, that part... I didn't like it felt completely out of context of the rest of the series. It felt it felt forced. It felt weak. I would completely agree there. I think they should have cut that uh, much in the way that shows like Naruto and Bleach. And this is coming from a Bleach fanboy should delete most of their filler. But that having been said, I don't feel like overall the series length took away from it. I felt like. It kept me going. It kept me wanting to see the final battle, but simultaneously made me not want to see the final battle because I kept wanting to see more and more of these really amazing over-the-top characters that just really drew you in. And, like, I would watch this in between my schoolwork. I'd watch this in between all the different types of things. And it really was, while I was watching it for the first time, just the sheer shock factor, the sheer surprise. It was so wonderfully crafted that it never failed to put me in a good mood no matter how many times I saw it. And I think there are very few series that, at least for me, have that ability to just take me, like, make me completely willing to suspend my disbelief and just really enjoy something for the sheer enjoyment of it. And I think that's what Joe, I think at the core of JoJo's, that's one thing maybe we can all agree on is that JoJo's has this talent to make you accept something so over the top and really enjoy it and really commit to it, no matter how ridiculous it might be. And people that don't like the series, it's usually because they can't get into that ridiculousness. But for those of us that embrace it, I think it it really has something special. And I think the TV series did a really good job of that for me. And it really, really made me dedicated to the franchise as a whole. All right. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for having your opinion on that, Payton. Um, and that was extremely well articulated despite not having the uh, the OVA um, in the forefront of your mind, which, you know, actually I think this really ended up being a good thing because now we have these different uh, perspectives on it. And whereas, you know, you're kind of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading along or I'm watching, I'm having fun with the ride. Uh, whereas those of us who, you know, we, we know what's going to happen in the OVA and uh, from the OVA. And so we're, we're now watching it again we're like, you know, okay, okay, get to, get to deal because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, Payton, but uh, and for other uh, listeners as well. So it was what, like fifty some episodes for part three, uh, fifty some episodes. Uh, the OVA was like thirteen episodes, so you know they 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 trimmed a lot of fat and cut a lot of uh, you know frankly cool stuff too, um, but really kept you know most of. Uh, the, the best stand users, uh, in my opinion, you know, like Darby the Gambler, intact. Um, I will say uh, that I'm glad that Araki's work got to have a, you know, a gospel by the book adaptation. I think that's great. You know, for all intents and purposes, he deserves it. It's, it's a great work. But, you know, as someone who's seen the OVA and kind of coming at it from a, from a filmic perspective, kind of like what Mike was saying, you're dealing with different mediums, and um, and you pointed that out very well, Peyton, and you pointed that out, Mike, and you know I think I think a lot of times that's that's lost in the shuffle, 
uh, whichever side of the aisle you may fall on. And, um, you know, I remember because I was watching it on Crunchyroll to, uh, to keep up with it as it was coming out. And so, of course, on Crunchyroll, you can see a lot of comments and stuff. And, you know, after all of this stuff, like everyone's mentioned, what, that water drop, what was that? And then you get all this exposition uh, where that kind of culminated. And I saw most of the irritated comments was when they're fighting Vanilla Ice. And particularly when, you know, Vanilla Ice is, you know, brutally, you know, literally kicking Iggy to death. And it's grotesque. And... Polnareff's kind of pulling a krill in there because he's, you know, like lying prone and battered and like, oh, if only I could, if only I could do something to help. And people, you know, in the comments are like, well, you know, what about that trick where you shoot your sword? Why don't you, why don't you try that one, Polnareff? And I think that's, that's the perfect scene that I choose because a lot of the comments that were uh, all over that episode was like, in the background, you're, you're hearing Polnareff's inner monologue. And in the background, you're hearing in real time, Vanilla Ice enraged and kicking the living life out of this poor little dog. And as he, he's whimpering every time he kicks him, and it's, you know, it's horrendous. Uh, I don't know what it is with Hirohiko Araki and, you know, dogs, but, <laughs> but you know, it's horrendous. And people kind of, the verisimilitude got broken for a lot of people at that point. Because a lot of people ended up saying, because Polnareff, we have his inner monologue for like five straight minutes. And in real time, that's a long time to listen to a dog being kicked to death. And so people were like, you know, why don't you do something, Polnareff? Why, you know, I mean, a few minutes, sure, you're gathering your thoughts, whatever. What, what, what are you doing, Polnareff? And, you know, yeah, he was wounded and stuff, but he did, he, ha- he, he had that enough mustard for one last, you know, attack. And it was just kind of four minutes of like, okay, build up, build up, build up. And it made me realize that I love reading and I love watching things on screen. And, again, as everyone has pointed out, they're very different mediums. And the thing about reading is your sense of time is suspended in a unique way. When you're reading something and you're reading someone's inner thoughts, you know, it's just about reading or or you're reading a a, a thought bubble or a a speech bubble in a a manga or comic. And it's just about getting that information so you know all this stuff is going on in their mind because, as with all of us, whether... Uh, emergency situation or otherwise, you know, time gets weird like that. In an emergency crisis, you'll have like a million thoughts go through your mind at one, at, all at once, but really like only a second has gone by in, in the outside world. And so when you're reading, you can play around with your sense of time like that. And it kind of reminds me of uh, people brought up filler and Dragon Ball Z, kind of like when, you know, Frieza says, you know, there's only five minutes until Namek's going to explode, and then you're like 20 episodes later, and you're, you kind of feel like, I, I, I'm sorry, you kind of lost me. And that, that was one of the several moments where uh, I felt that, because when you literally took what they did, they literally took it from the page and put it onto the screen where you've got runtime, and, you know, we're all watching it in real time, all of a sudden his inner monologues, because we have to hear the voice actor say all that, your sense of time is like, you know, something that could take literally a a fraction of a second of thought takes like five minutes to say aloud. And so that was, uh, I think that was a perfect example of why people, because people commenting on there, they didn't know why it was bothering them. But I think that was it. And, um, you know, so the OVA was very good at, back in those days, they, that was more what you did. You took something, there wasn't this internet for everybody to just know about everything, right? 
if anybody's getting into JoJo's because of hearing this, they can pretty much go on the internet and start reading the manga or start watching the thing. And on forums or whatever, that's kind of the fun of the internet. You can BS like you know everything about it, right? Um, even if you just got into it two days ago. So before that, you know, when people were adapting something, you, you one, you made it work for the, the screen, and two, you kind of pitched to your lowest common denominator. You know, it wasn't catering to the uber fans that are like, oh, I'll do it like the manga. Um, or now we've got that with, uh, you know, Peyton, you probably hear that with Casey a lot, and, you know, he loves it when they have all those little uh, esoteric clues in the... Uh, in the Marvel films, which is cool, you know, because he reads, he read all the comics and stuff, so he loves that. I get it, but they were making stuff for people who'd never seen it before, and and you know, granted, uh, I, I think it was great. One of the things they did with the TV series was as best as able to capture because it was so unique. You know, I mean, you have clothing lines now emulating uh, Araki's drawings and his characters and his the flamboyant outfits and the crazy audacious colors. You got a lot more of that in the TV series, which was, of course, very muted in the OVA, because I'm sure you had them being like, well, we got to try to make this quote-unquote marketable. But, uh, but yeah, that was considerably more than my two cents. But that was mine, and uh, and so... And actually, can I respond to yours? Uh, certainly. Because uh, I, I, I think we're all hitting on something, but I, I, this, as you were talking about this, this just kind of got me thinking. I think... What we're really debating here, more than JoJo's itself, I think what's being debated here is, in general, the transition whenever you move an OVA to a TV series in in much a similar way of any time you move, uh, like, a short film to a full-length film or a, like, for my area of expertise more like a short story into a full-length work of fiction whenever you move it from a small amount to a large amount like if you're doing it from the large amount to the smaller amount it's easier you t- you pick out the highlights you make it into a almost like a spark notes version but better and then you make it really eloquent and really really capture the feel of it when you have something longer that's being serialized for a speci- specified amount of time where you have to have a certain length you're going to get points that are going to go slower. And I think really what's being debated here isn't so much, I would argue that it's not so much a flaw on the JoJo's TV series part as it is a flaw of the creative process of extending something that was uh, much from a much, from what people like from a much smaller format to a much longer format. When you take a five minute short film, which happens all the time at stuff like Sundance, you take something that was a five-minute short film and use it as inspiration for an hour-and-a-half movie, there's going to be some parts that people are like, well, okay, why aren't they just doing it? It's, I, would, I would argue that it's simply a part of the creative process of trying to make something into a bigger work than what it is in the same way that love it or hate it. I mean, it's part of the reason why the – and I know some people will skewer me for this. Some people will agree with it. Um, the new Hobbit films, for those that have seen them. They took something and tried to make it much longer. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I would argue that that one didn't just simply because it was so long, but I would say in some cases like JoJo's, I'd say for the people that read the original short work in much the same way as I've read a lot of short stories and then not like the novels, I'd say, yeah, it'd probably be really draggy and dull and boring. Um, But I I would say that they're trying to hit a new audience with this, and I think that's when you have a longer novel that people, when people haven't read the shorter one, it does 
it, it does read better for those newcomers. And I, I would argue that that's what's going here. It's less of a flaw in the series and more of a nature, nature of the creative beast, as it were. I, I will say that, you know, if we're obviously one of the big things that people did not like going from the manga to the OVA was the, you know, people getting cut out like death 13, for instance, I loved death 13. That was two or three of the coolest episodes in Jojo. Like death was one of my favorite stands. Like it, it was just the way that they did it. It was a lot different in, in many ways than most of the other stands. It dealt with dreams. It's like Freddy Krueger. Um, and then there were other stands like Steely Dan that didn't make it into, or Dan of Steel, according to the Crunchyroll subs. Obviously, it wasn't Dan of Steel. That's not what they were saying. But that was worth putting two episodes into. Like I said, my, my earlier problem was not that every scene was like that. It was after a certain point. Much like with once we got out of the tarot cards and we started getting into the Egyptian god cards, at that point, I would have even said it with the manga. I would say, okay, we need to get to Dio. One obvious exception would be Endel, simply because he had one of the coolest lines in the whole show where he said, you know, I follow Master Dio because evil needs an evil messiah. Like, that's, I was like, whoa, okay, that's awesome. But a lot of characters. You know, they could have cut down the runtime on it. Like, the sun. The the sun was two episodes long, and literally all they did was hide under a rock. Now, I will, again, I will admit that hearing Joseph say, son of the bitch, every time he would try and do something and the sun would pop it is funny. The sun, I don't think the sun needed two episodes. Did Death need two episodes? Yeah. Did Dio need, like, four or five? Absolutely. But I definitely think, even if they would, you know, like, for instance... Battle Tendency and Phantom Blood. Phantom Blood only got six episodes. I think that really helped Phantom Blood. If they like, if they wanted to do Phantom Blood, but they said we need to make sure that we get everything in there and extended it to thirteen, it wouldn't have been as good. The hey, same uh, thing with just in, just in case you want to do this for post. Sorry to interrupt you, but I just looked it up. Actually, it did only appear in one episode for the Sun. It did not have a two episode arc. That's it felt thinking. like two just episodes. <laughs> I just it made it felt like it, but just in case for posts, I just thought I'd let you know it's it was just a one episode. Oh, good call. Okay, all right. Continue, Mike. Basically, there's a lot of stuff in there that they could have cut down on, and in my opinion, and a lot of the Egyptian gods, like the second Darby, didn't need to be there. Like, I'm the better Darby. Like, okay, <laughs> I I just didn't think it needed to be there. I think had they done it in a 26 episode format. I think it would have worked a lot better because uh, much like you said, they were, they wouldn't have had to adapt it. And I think that was, that was kind of my main argument with Stardust Crusaders was they could have done a lot better with their time as opposed to, instead of trying to get everybody in, they did a lot of cool stuff like Oingo Boingo's thing at the end. They wanted to make sure the fans of the manga, when they watched Stardust Crusaders, the anime, they were going to get what they saw in the manga. And I think for a lot of people, they got that. You know, I wasn't I wasn't going to argue that anybody who read the manga was not going to get what they wanted in Stardust Crusaders. I just think that coming from the OVA and then looking at it and saying, oh, they did Kakyoin better in the CV series because they did this as opposed to whatever. So, you know, I think I just think that the 52 episodes or whatever, 42, I don't remember how many it was, was just too much. All right, gentlemen. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, congrats on this might be a first in Internet history on having a, uh, a civilized discussion of JoJo's with, uh, without it devolving further. And I think that's a big part of it is, is what we've touched on is 
we've got some people, our first exposure was the OVA. And to others, it was uh, the manga. Or to others, it's the, the TV series. And I think that's um, uh, a lot of things fall into eye of the beholder. But, uh, you know, for anybody out there, um, and, you know, I, it's funny. I've seen this now on the Digino Anime episode, which was before um, the 2015 series. Everybody's like, well, what's this? What's this older-looking, you know, Stardust Crusaders? What? There was an OVA. And, and there was. And, uh, I, you know, if, if you got time and you love JoJo's and... Perhaps if you also like cheesy but awesome 80s dubs, I believe it's, you know, Matt Mercer as Jotaro, and you're not going to get any Charlie Brown good grief uh, out of it. <laughs> and uh, and also I think uh, the uh, the director, Hiroyuki Kitakubo, you know, did a phenomenal job with pacing and with, uh, you know, with an adaptation. But anyway... I think uh, kind of where you were going, Payton, with your answer, and, and all of us, I think we're getting to this. But, you know, just as a whole, if uh, if, if there's anything that stands out to you um, in particular, you know, why do you love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Like, what about it did you really like? And if there's anything as silly and nonsensical as it can be at times, was there anything really profound or really personal that you took away from it? Uh, we'll start with Payton. Yeah, I honestly took a lot away from this series. For as goofy as it is, like, I don't know. Like, maybe it's just because I'm kind of an over-the-top eccentric in real life. Uh, Mr. Lobo himself can uh, attest to this, having spent many an eon with me uh, and various shenanigans. Uh, but I I don't know. There was something about this, the, the whimsy of this series, I guess I would put it, which is, it's weird to use the word whimsy, for an over-the-top manime where, you know, dogs are being pelted to death and things are being, you know, just absolutely wrecked in the most violent way. But, um, I don't know, there's something, there's there's a charm to this series that you don't see in a lot of manime. And not to say that manime is not good, I, I love manime, I, I find it hysterically funny, um, I find it greatly gripping to watch the action sequences. But there's something about this one that just makes it different, whether it be from the poses to, I actually happen to think, the very first scene I ever saw from the anime was Kakyoin, the fake Kakyoin and the cherry, and the... And that... Oh my gosh. That just killed me. It still kills me every time I see it in the best way. Uh, this this show it just it has so many moments that are simultaneously hysterical yet a lot of times just very gripping and very like edge of your seat kind of action filled like oh my gosh what's about to happen and uh, I I don't know it, it it had it had a lot of good things for me I thought uh, Polnareff was an interesting take I I liked the Krillin comparison that, that you were mentioning John but. Uh, my whole thing with that is I feel like, yes, he does that, but he simultaneously I, – I feel like he really did a great that, – that character did a really great job of capturing what it feels like to be someone who, who you know – I mean, you know Polnar F's talented. You see that. You see him able to fight his way out of things. You see him able to get through all these different situations, I, I, like even the escaping being a baby thing. Like he – he has all these ways that he escapes situations. He is talented. He he does have a brain, despite the fact he doesn't act it a lot of the time. And 
he simultaneously captures that complete relatability of being completely capable while also because of situations or because of just the gravity and the level of the competition he's up against that feeling of like I'm doing my best and I'm really good but my best still isn't good enough and there's something about that the poignancy of it uh, that really I, I think it rung true for me and for a lot of people and especially like I know uh going through school or going through hard times in your life, it often feels like that. And I thought it was very relatable. And then you get characters like Kakyoin that are just so incredibly loyal and so incredibly based on like the people they care about. And it's like, you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be said about a lot of it. And it just, I think they managed to get a group of characters that really redefine and really shape what it's like to be, you know, have that really good set of friends that you really would that you would honestly die for. And I thought that was awesome. And I know it was mentioned a few minutes ago as a hated character, but I I honestly thought the second Darby, the the video game one, as nonsensical as it was, it was severely entertaining. And the one thing about that, I will say that creeped me out more than any of the rest of the series, and this is probably my last note, is just that the dolls with the people's souls stuck in them, that gave me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies because marionettes already freak me the fuck out and i just saw that and i'm like well i will um be sleeping a lot less easy tonight thinking about my soul being trapped into a wooden marionette so uh yeah uh, that's that's my two cents man that was great man that's great thank you for sharing mike how about you well i love jojo's bizarre adventure not like love because it's bizarre it's right in the title it's over the top and it's manly, which nowadays is an ever exceedingly rare element in anime. And it probably, in my opinion, has the best bad guy in any series ever in Dio. And it's fun. It's some, And it also has found a way to work in supernatural powers without it being either abundantly obvious but also not widely accepted in the universe it's set in. Sometimes you forget that not everybody can just pull Magician's Red or uh, Silver Chariot out of thin air and just start fighting. It's like, oh, right, these people are normal. They can't do that. You know, and these people, you know, the stand users are almost like, uh, not quite legends, but they've got this uh, mythos about them, like, oh, this guy, he's a really good, you know, fortune teller. But in reality, he's got the stand. Um, the characters, much like Peyton said, the characters are, for me, are one of the strongest things that I love about the series because I'm a sucker for a great adventure story. And much like with Bizarre, it is it has adventure written right in the title of the story. And a good adventure story lives and dies by its characters. And JoJo's Bizarre Adventure has that in spades. I, I could probably gush for a long time about a lot of the characters and why I like them. But, you know, there's one character that... Ironically enough, I didn't at first really pay any attention to, and I want to point him out in particular, uh, Speedwagon. Yes, even Speedwagon gets recognized this time. Uh, but it's not for what he did in Phantom Blood. It's a battle tendency because in Phantom Blood, he's portrayed as, you know, the scoundrel, whoring, drinking, typical Londoner. Not actually, but you get the point. Like, he's he's that type of character. He doesn't get the girl, but he lives on. And, you know, of course, we're going into part two. So anybody who hasn't seen part two, there might be spoilers in here. Uh, but Speedwagon is an old man. He stumbles upon a fortune in the States when he finds oil. And 
Mr. REO is the CEO of the Speedwagon Foundation. Uh, but the very end of the series, and this is the thing that really caught me, and I just kind of like, I, t- I, I wanted to tip my hat to Iraqi because I don't see this very often, and I thought it was very cool. Even though it's something really small, it's really insignificant when you think about what's all happening at the end of Battle Tendency, is he doesn't retire with a wife and have kids like everybody else. He decides to live as a bachelor and do his own thing, and he's 100% okay with that. And that's what kind of dumbstruck and impressed me was he made this character who is just okay with being himself. Like he, he didn't need anybody else. Like he has the Joe stars and he has his speed wagon foundation, but he did, he didn't, he wasn't like Joseph. He didn't need a family, a wife and kids, the stereotypical ending. He just wanted to do his own thing. And it's nice to see them not like play that down. Like, Oh, he was a bachelor and that's really terrible. He didn't have kids cause he was, you know, he's completely scared of the fact that while Joseph was, flying this helicopter there were piranhas coming at him you know really ways to play down the fact that he's just like you know what i'm just gonna do my thing and i was like holy crap like they actually wrote a character who didn't have a stereotypical ending in a lot of ways like he was just like all right later walked off into the sunset and that was cool right on man right on uh thank you for sharing man that's man this is good stuff guys this is good stuff and uh sorry for making you wait but uh will how about you like Michael, I'm a bit of a sucker for a good adventure story, and that's exactly what this is. This is a generational adventure. If you start off in the 19th century with uh, with Jonathan, then you lead to his grandson, Joseph, and then his grandson, Jotaro. It's a very classic passing of the torch, and as I understand, it's sort of the way the story goes through each of the parts. Another Jojo takes the forefront. You get a new protagonist, different type of story. It's kind of like – I'll make the analogy to Doctor Who. When you go from the first Doctor, the second Doctor, the third Doctor, all the way to the twelfth Doctor they're on now, the story takes a completely different turn. You have new elements that get brought in, a new character gets brought in, new companions, new environment, new foes to defeat, and so on. It's one thing that I think has probably kept JoJo alive for as long as it has, unlike other manga that are of the same flavor that have long since ended, that you can essentially renew the story by saying, let's wait two generations and we have a new successor. Now, I don't, I, again, I haven't seen past part three, so I don't know how that works too well from this po- moment forward. I know that uh, eventually Jotaro's daughter, Jolene, shows up, and some, and you also have to deal with Dio's kids somewhere in there. I don't get it. But from what I've seen from parts one to three, it's very, very much just kind of passing the torch, this adventure going from one generation to the other. You start with Jonathan. You have this faux Dio crop up. It is irredeemable bastard child who is just evil incarnate from the beginning he kicks a puppy the first time you see him which is probably the thing that tips you off here's your villain for the day right here watch out for this guy i mean he's not even a vampire yet he's not even uh, supernatural yet he's just vile as a person he doesn't need to be evil or doesn't have need evil superpowers that those certainly helped him but then he, jo- Jonathan and Dio have their their back and forth for, se- for several years for, through the part through part one. Then it's seemingly they kill each other off. Then you have jo- Joseph. Two generations later, turns out that through machinations of Dio, Dio planning ahead, and that one one thing I that Michael 
mention was Dio is a great villain. Dio is a scheming villain, which I really, really enjoy. He has a master plan. He has uh, contingencies. And in his defeat at Jonathan's hands, he still had agents to take care of the Joe stars even when he was gone, which as far as I've heard also, the manga portrays this as well, that Dio's legacy lives on long past his defeat in part three. You have... Agents of Dio take out George Joestar II, who is Jonathan's son, and he never learned how to use the Ripple or Haman or however the fuck you want to call it. Um, he never used was able to use that power, so he was taken out immediately, even though he was a officer in the Air Force, in the Royal Air Force. He still got killed, leaving his wife widowed. And then jo- here comes Joseph. Joseph has just this natural ability to use the ripple, and he starts manifesting that power and learns how to control it, even though he's reckless as all get out and a goofball on top of it. And, of course, you have his rivalry with Caesar, and then you switch on – Then after his defeat of cars, you switch over to Jotaro, who is Joseph's grandson. And you have Dio's return, and then now Jotaro gathers his crew together, goes and fights Dio. You have these recurring beats. Uh, I, I want to quote Gundam Wing, this endless waltz where you have a little piece, revol- uh, then you have, you have war, and then you have re- revolution. It just keeps cycling back and forth, which it makes for a good story that way to have the adventure be taken on by a new generation. It gives you kind of a respect for time. Also, watching Joseph grow old. I mentioned Joseph was my favorite character, and it's because we get to see his development. We get to see him as a young man fighting in the 40s. Then you have him as an old man fighting in the 80s. You get to see his progression from being this goofy, very strong, very naturally talented kid. And then as a old man, he he certainly still has that goofiness about him, but he's more seasoned. He's much more experienced. He's also no longer the strongest guy on the planet. His grandson is. And having to back away and realize his own limitations, to see that kind of maturation is something you don't see in many series. Tenshi! You don't get to see the protagonist become weak and have to yield to to the next protagonist. You could make analogies to the Lord of the Rings because through the Lord of the Rings novels, you have The Hobbit. But then after The Hobbit, you uh, Bilbo essentially succeeds to Frodo, and Frodo's the hero now, not if you can define a hero in that series very well, um, as opposed to the person who first found the ring and had his adventure with the ring. Seeing that kind of tra- transition is, at least for my 35-year-old self, now that I'm – starting to edge toward middle age myself, I'm starting to see those kind of stories much more interest me now, seeing how one transitions from one to the other. All right, man. Thanks you for sharing on that. Uh, all of you guys, man, that's, you know, Peyton, I like what you brought up. I'd go on a bizarre adventure with any of you any day <laughs> if it ever comes up. And, uh, and Mike, you know, Speedwagon, uh, I suspect some other characters as well that really get kind of overlooked and, uh, you know, underappreciated, and, uh, and you know, there's so many reasons that I like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure as well. Like the fact that when I'm driving in my car now and I'm listening to classic rock on the radio and a Cars song comes on, and whenever there's like, you know, a significant guitar part, I think until the day I die, I always see freaking Cars, I see Cars strumming Lisa Lisa's leg in that macabre taunting manner as though it were a guitar and it's you know it's just, you know only what else other than 
JoJo's could could do that. Um, <laughs> but you know what what uh, kind of something profound for me was uh, kind of touching upon what you said, Will, with the the passing of the baton and stuff, and how we touched upon earlier. Uh, one of my favorite aspects of JoJo's uh, it was Dio as an antagonist, because as as uh, mentioned earlier, you know it's not the redeemable type. It's not the oh see things from his type of view. It's like Iraqi made evil with two eyes and two arms and two legs, evil incarnate. And for me, I kind of had this personal takeaway after seeing it, and I think I will return to it over the years, is, you know, I don't know if Iraqi meant this or not, but, you know, I, I think just a personal takeaway I had with it was, you know, Dio being this recurring villain, he's this recurring force, you know, just this inhuman evil force that... You know, from the perspective of the Joe Star family, it's just this this evil thing that just plagues your family, and will just like continue down the line. And it's like you may defeat him, you know, maybe Jonathan almost, or you know, Jotaro. But then there's after effects later, and you know, it's just like you just seem like you can't get rid of this this you know this this evil thing. And you know, I kind of saw that as really profound for, you know, if you, you have, you know, your family members and, you know, like hereditary conditions or something like that, you know, like, like I said, some personal experience, you know, you see like certain disorders or certain diseases, certain things, you know, like you see it in your, you know, like your grandparents and then you see it, you know, in their grandkids and you see it in, you know, and, and, uh, or for so many people, you know, the evil that is cancer and, you know, deals a cancer, you know, he, he's a cancer to the, the Joe star family. And, you know, I just, I thought that was really, that was really profound for me. And it it became this, this, you know, this uniting thing for Joseph and Jotaro, for instance, you know, taking on this, this evil and, um, you know, just how, how Dio kind of perfectly, just to me, I don't, I don't think that was intended or not, not explicitly, but uh, how that, you know, mentally formed for me was just, that was kind of a perfect metaphor for me when you got to, you know, deal with that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you, you lose a grandparent to something and then you see like, you know, one of your close relatives, their grandkid or great grandkid, and you see that recurring in them. And I just think in my mind, you know, like, uh, like Joseph or Jotaro, you know, just, just clenching your fist and you're like, Dio, you know, and you're just like, and so of course that leads to, you know, the most satisfying thing ever when Jotaro just, you know, absolutely annihilates him and, you know, says, you know, the one, the one reason, the one way you messed up, Dio, was you really pissed me off, and that was, and that was great. And uh, <laughs> so that's just that was kind of one of the the more recent takeaways I, I had from the series, and appreciate it for that. Is just you know I really like things that have well crafted characters and uh, antagonists that you know like you see their backstory, maybe the tragic beginnings or uh, or you know some sort of twisted logic for what they do or even kind of see their rationale or their point of view but then I love that that's not always the case and Dio is not one of those times where you know he's just he's just he's just he's just pure evil and you love to hate him and uh, yeah that's I, I could go on and on but I think we're we're running short on time and that's that's one of the reasons I as we said, not like, but love JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Okay, I guess, uh, again, thank you, gentlemen, for your time today. Uh, if we got a few minutes left here, just kind of for uh, general discussion, does anybody have anything they'd like to bring up or comment on further? I got one. 
I'll never forget this. And this was this was kind of one of the like ever since watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, I've always tried to place Dio in an anime that has an absolutely terrible villain because Dio is hard not. He's like the he's the perfect villain. Like he's he is so good at being bad that I just I'm just oftentimes awestruck and never one quote in particular that kind of solidified it aside from you know watching the OVA it was when I was watching Phantom Blood and Jonathan and Zeppeli and Speedwagon are going after him when he resurrects the two dead knights and Zeppeli says Dio do you know how many people you've killed and Dio looks at him and smiles and says I don't know do you know how many pieces of bread you've eaten in your life and I was like please please find me a better bad guy than Dio Brando because I don't think there is one he is like simultaneously evil incarnate while also being that still wonderfully over the top trope that this series loves while being his own thing he's actually legitimately terrifying another thing that dio has in particular now this has gotten shifted from being jojo talking about jojo to just dio worship uh i will say that the probably the one thing that is scariest about dio not so much as power i mean you've seen cars cars was far more powerful than uh, hell any of the pillar men would have eaten dio for lunch in terms of just sheer raw strength i would argue dio's power and his what's ma- what's made him such a living force even after his defeat in part 3 is probably his charisma he could get people to he could get a mother to kill her child if he so desired he could silver tongue talk just about anyone into doing anything that he ever wanted and that's not including the fact that he was a vampire and could mesmerize them to do whatever the fuck he wanted to absolutely and uh, i i think that comes through a lot in the series and um i can't remember i i should remember if they were you know some character explicitly stated this at one point but whether they did or not it's very much there in the the series and um the undertones and stuff is that dio brando he, he did not become a monster when he became a vampire he he was always a monster and when he became a vampire that just allowed him to be better at being a horrible inhuman monster well I've, if there's nothing else i feel like we got to end just, somewhat just the fact that this let's just say if you haven't seen this show, you need to see this show. It's beautiful, and it will ch- it will change your perspective on anime. Yeah, and, and uh, that's absolutely true. I'm and I'm surprised if some of you are out there. Shame on you if you've been listening this <laughs> whole time, haven't seen it. You know, don't don't listen to the spoilers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely see it. Um, and especially I- if let me just say this is a big spoiler. But favorite moment of the series is still when at the end, Joseph is pretending to be Dio resurrected on the friggin' hospital bed. Maybe my favorite part of Stardust Crusaders of this new new incarnation. <laughs> that was a that was an instance where I, I I was just like, are you kidding? Like, and the thing was, as much as that went against us OVA inclined, that was perfectly in character with joseph and the way like you know even though he was an old man like that was something still from his youth and he just kind of was always like that and I, and that was really close to where joseph that was that was an instance where your your aptitude for pranks that almost that almost that was almost too far uh jojo you almost you almost paid heavily for that one because jojo was like oh dio <laughs> actually 
speaking of endings, this is another spoiler, but, but it's, a one not, it's not one from the OVA and it's not one for part three. Michael mentioned this a moment ago when he mentioned Speedwagon's ending, that it was he, uh, Speedwagon was able to be his own man, essentially do his own thing. He didn't get them wife and kids and the classic happily ever after. He was happily being a bachelor and, li- and living his own life. There's a lot of bad end in this series too. A lot of a lot of characters get a very bad uh, either comeuppance or just tragic end to themselves. Now there's lots of people you could go through and name if you sat down and just listed off all the characters in uh, JoJo because there's just so bloody many of them. But my favorite in- bad end for this series would have to be Cars. Cars had just achieved basically godhood. And then through Joseph being, well, fucking Joseph, Cars ends up in floating out to space, solidifying into ice, and he couldn't move. He has nothing to propel himself. He's screwed. And the TV series, as well as the manga, I believe, finally says he ultimately just stopped thinking. Man. Which, if you're going to have semi-phenomenal cosmic power, at that point, the power to actually shut off your brain is probably your most valuable one. Well, it just goes to show you that old axiom, you know, there are fates worse than death, and being immortal and trapped in the nothingness, the vacuum that is uh, the universe, I I think that's uh, that would be one of them. One more thing, too, you know, JoJo has always been good about having, or one of the staples of JoJo is ha- is having references to popular music uh, and popular artists of music. I feel like, this is just my personal thing when Part 3 is coming out, I feel like they've missed a real opportunity by not having the ending to Part 3 be Holy Diver from Dio, and also for not using... Ice Ice Baby when Vanilla Ice showed up just because. God. I mean, <laughs> that's one of those things, unfortunately, you resign yourself to like, oh, yeah, like, oh, we could never do that. But I mean, but if they had, like, that would have just been, would have been the coolest thing ever. You had fr- freaking <laughs> Ice Ice Baby in the background. Da, 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 and they're da, like, da, da. what's that? Who's coming? <laughs> oh, man. I, I This could go into another podcast, so I'll make this short, but a lot of copyright issues, I think, and JoJo has unfortunately been a very big victim of this. There are homages, there are people who, there are also people who steal ideas. Stealing ideas is not what Araki was doing, because let's be honest, Dio Dio Brando has nothing to do with uh, Ronnie James Dio, except in name. And same thing with uh, Vanilla Ice, the the character Vanilla Ice versus the uh, rapper Vanilla Ice have nothing to do with each other. It is completely a homage. It is completely just Iraqi saying, I really love this band. I want to use their name. Uh, or I really love this, this musician. I want to use their name. Please, I, I'm going to put it in my story. Do, 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 do. Be, I'm, I openly admit I'm a fan fiction writer myself, so I do, I do shit like that. But I, I so wish that there wasn't so much of a problem with copyright over that because then – You'd get you'd get be able to do things like that. You'd be able to use their music or hell, even let the musician know, hey, your name is used in this Japanese manga over here as this awesome villain. Wouldn't that be so mega cool? I remember seeing uh, Weird Al on Twitter be like, oh hey, lol, or what something like that when that when the 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 last episode premiered and. Uh, we were just talking about it, that scene, and Jotaro is like asking, he's drilling, 
his grandfather with questions to make sure it's really him. And he's like, who did that parody song of uh, Michael Jackson's Beat It? And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, it's you. All right. Well, does anyone want to give their best the world impression of Dio before we chime out today? The world! The world! I think we can go for it. Okay, channel Dio. The world! Oh, man. (laughs) Gives you appreciation, folks, for the professionals. Phenomenal series. Anybody who's listening, go stop whatever anime you're watching right now. It's probably not as good as JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Kudos. Agreed. You need some more bizarreness injected into your life so go see it all right thank you guys so much for your time and thank you listeners again for bearing with us apologize for the long wait and uh you know that may be the case as we continue but we do continue on planning however few and far between they may unfortunately end up being due to everyone's busy schedules but uh, if you're new to us check out the description we're going to have links uh we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on itunes uh, got a blog website and, uh, and be sure you subscribe and follow us for more. Cause we're going to have more and, uh, maybe even some special guests in the future. So who knows and who knows what the next, uh, title will be, whether it's, uh, mainstream or niche, whether it's old or new, only time will tell. If but, you have ideas, we'd love to hear them in the comments. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, all right, everyone. Well, thanks for listening and We'll catch you next time.